Hello, it's time for Customers Who Click, and today we've got another fantastic episode packed with amazing tips and information. We're going to be talking about the post-purchase experience. It's an area that so many brands don't give nearly enough attention to, but it can drastically affect customer support, reviews, and retention. Today's guest is Catherine Biggs, Marketing and Communications Manager at Parcel Lab. They found that of the top 150 retailers in the UK, a massive 80% of them pretty much stopped their communication with the customer after checkout. Nothing about status of order, delivery, et cetera. You know, it's just the next thing you know, the package is arriving on your doorstep. It's not a particularly great experience if the order happens to be delayed by just a day or two, or even if it's just particularly expensive. It's easy to create even a basic experience yourself, but there are companies like Parcel Lab out there to help you make it even better. Let's get Catherine on now to talk us through the experience and how brands can be doing better. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, your backgrounds, um, how you kind of got to where you are and, and what you guys do at the moment? Yeah, of course. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so, yeah, so I'm Catherine and I'm um, Parcel Labs Marketing and Comms Manager for our UK and Nordics markets. Been uh, with Parcel Lab for about two and a half years now. Um, originally kind of focused on our content side um, and grew the marketing team to what is now um, a global team headed by our VP of growth and marketing. So yeah, a pretty exciting time for our business. We've just got our um, Series C funding um, and got $112 million. So yeah, it's an exciting time to be in post-purchase. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a decent amount of money there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, post-purchase, what do you, how would you describe the, what you do with the post-purchase? Because obviously there's quite a, you could consider quite a range of things involved there. So yeah, of course. So um, for us, um, originally, when we kind of first launched um, in Germany uh, five years ago, post-purchase was our kind of main bread and butter. Um, and that was all communication around delivery. So delivery notifications, order status pages, everything in a branded white labeled format. You'd never know that Parcel Lab um, was communicating for the retailer. Um, so what traditionally was, say, Hermes communicating now became, let's say, ASOS for an example of a retailer. So, yeah, that's kind of where we originally started. And what we've seen is this space really grow in the last few years, which then um, encouraged us to actually branch out and start our own category. Um, so we've gone and started operations experience management, um, which actually encompasses all operational features um, and the customer experiences across those. Um, so it's kind of acknowledging that it's not just about communication anymore and it's about the customer experience across all operational functions. So checkout, shipping, delivery and returns. Um, so that's kind of how we're shifting our business at the moment and also taking our focus away from just purely retailers to anyone that buys and sells online. Um, so it really opens up who we can help. Um, and I think the pandemics even increase that because we have things like testing. Um, we have people sending, you know, COVID tests in the post and they want to know where their results are going to be. All this sort of stuff actually online and e-commerce has really grown in the last year or so to be a very different space from what it was pre pre-pandemic. Um, and this category really kind of encompasses that now. Yeah, I've definitely seen uh, more and more companies in this space, or at least particularly focused on that post-purchase. But yeah, I think it's really important because, um, you know, yeah, so many companies, they'll give you an order confirmation. And then the next thing you hear is an email from Hermes or someone. Um, and then you might get 
a follow-up from Hermes saying, you know, you are about to deliver. And then the next thing is that email from the retailer saying, not even did you receive your order, it's just... <laughs> We assume you've received your order. Um, so, well, most of the time it's leave us a review. I think you mentioned, so you're not just post-purchase anymore, you say. So you now yeah. deal with kind of that on-page, so that, that, that product page kind of based information. So from that side, it's more about educating um, the retailers on what they can do there. We don't really have a solution for that, but we've branched into returns more as well um, and the comms around returns. Um, and also just kind of really reiterating that branded experience across the whole journey. And as you said, you know, right now, customers are just being left in the dark. Um, we recently surveyed the top 150 UK retailers and 87% of them just ended communication after checkout. So hopefully the carrier communicated, but actually quite often they didn't. So you're literally just hoping for that order to arrive. And, you know, we all shop online far more than we ever did in the last six, you know, 18 months. And actually that's now becoming a problem because suddenly you're receiving numerous carrier communications. You're having to work out which one relates to which parcel. Maybe there's one parcel that's more important than the other. You can't work out which is which. Whereas actually when you take it down to the level of then it all being communicated in the brand's messaging and all from them, it takes that confusion away. Um, You know, I can, I won't even properly touch on it, but there's also the fraud side, you know, we're seeing it's a massive news point right now is the fraudulent messages around delivery. And actually, if you had control of that post-purchase experience, that takes away that option for your customer to experience fraud and fall for that, because actually they know that when they're ordering from X retailer, it's always going to come from them. And any, you know, dodgy message that says, pay Royal Mail X amount of money, they know that that's fraud straight away. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a whole world of possibilities when you start taking control of that experience. Yeah, so I've um, I've just moved. So I've, I've been ordering quite a few things to the house. And yeah, there's such a, a range of communications that I'm receiving. So Amazon's obviously top, like just, they're just fantastic at it. I get emails, Know, order confirmation, dispatch confirmation. Uh, we're going to deliver it today. We're going to deliver it in a couple of hours. It has been delivered. Like everything. Um, a few others um, have been kind of on those lines as well. So quite, quite good at just um, keeping me informed. But so one of them, I uh, ordered a barbecue, which mm. is quite a big package, and the delivery uh, messages said I, I have to be here to collect it. So they, I guess they just. They won't leave it. it. Must be probably too valuable, I suppose. Um, but they gave no options for what to do if I'm not there. It was literally just if we can't deliver it to you, we'll leave you a like a postcard with instructions on what to do. No option for me to say, well, can you leave it next door, or or just any, anything like that. So um, that wasn't great. But what I have noticed, which I think is really good, is quite a few deliveries now have actually taken a picture with the with uh not quite with me in it but <laughs> very very obviously like the door is open the package is there um they've they've done their job um which which I think is really good because that yeah definitely yeah. I actually had that happen to me recently um I ordered something and it said delivered and I live on the third floor um of a building so I kind of ran downstairs like yay my parcel's here got downstairs I was like the parcel's not here (laughs) what's happened and yeah um they had that picture of the delivery and I was like that's not my front door 
and actually I could see the the door on it and I could figure out that they delivered it to like so I live at 138 and they delivered it to 183 and because of that picture I could actually work out where my parcel was and obviously this isn't ideal but yeah I think we're seeing um really great moves from carriers to make it much easier um but there is that missing piece yeah of how do I rearrange my delivery if I'm not home yeah, I, I do think there needs to be a little bit more training with those pictures, though. I've definitely, <laughs> I, I've experienced it myself, and I know other people where where I used to live. Um, the pictures would be taken, and they were so close to the actual um, package, you you could tell it was a door, and you could tell, you could tell it was one of the flats in our development. But you're talking about six, seven hundred flats. <laughs> you don't know which building it's in. You don't know what door that's at. Um, yeah. So they do need to be a little bit better at that, but um, but that's at least you know it's it's getting there. Yeah, definitely. In the right direction. <laughs> um, so, are there any, I guess, like misconceptions around post post purchase at the moment uh, and what it should involve? I think generally, um, there's a big focus from retailers, and this hasn't really changed, is on that acquiring their customer, um, and then they think they've checked out, and they're automatically going to become loyal and they're suddenly going to love your brand and I think what we're seeing is that people think it's all about the brand experience and actually customers becoming more about their experience and they're becoming experience loyal so they're no longer just shopping because they love the brand they're shopping because of the experience you're giving them and I think with so much post-purchase you know a part of our messaging is that you can make it branded and I think that's so important but the point is it's it comes down to the experience it's in the name and just because it's branded doesn't mean it's enjoyable to your customer and you need to kind of take a step back and think about what does my customer actually want and when do they want to hear it you know they don't want to be receiving six emails about their delivery really they want to know when it's out for when it's been dispatched the day it's going to arrive and the, the time slot is going to arrive in and then when it's been delivered you know there's kind of four sweet points there that you want to hear probably the time slot you want to receive via sms because straight into your inbox you you know you're not having to go through your emails to try and figure out what time it's straight you know in your text messages which many people don't use anymore so actually they've become quite functional so yeah i think this is the yeah the misconception in this is that it's all about brand and actually we really need to focus on the experience here and what our customers are actually wanting and how we can level that up. And, you know, I could talk for hours about the content that you could include here. Um, there's so much potential to really stand out, especially in certain industries, you know, beauty, for example, so many influencer campaigns. Um, imagine if you could have a set um, of communications that are based on the influencer that they've converted from. You know, it's really personalized. And actually, when you take it down to that level, your customer is going to remember that and they're going to say, oh, actually, they remembered that I really liked, you know, Emma Louise Connolly's uh, Instagram about YSL Beauty and I bought the product from that. And therefore, that was my journey. They're going to remember that and that's going to really stand out than, you know, your usual carry communications, for example. It's so different when you start putting it in that sense. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a balance to it, isn't there? Like you're you're right. A lot of companies just acquire the customers and then assume that because they've checked out, it's it's job done. You know, they they'll they'll see another advert when they're ready to purchase. They'll come back. They'll buy again. But they forget about that experience. But then also, they I think they try too hard to create that experience, which ends up becoming that branded piece, which is all about the company. 
and what the company wants them to do next and the blog posts that the company wants them to read, but not what that customer wants, which is, like you said, I want to know that the delivery address is correct. I want to know what day it's going to arrive. When we get to that stage, I want to know roughly when it is actually going to turn up at the door. Those are the things that I care about. Everything else is just an extra bonus. And really, the stuff that should be on that page is uh, how-to guides and the you know the product manual and stuff like that. You know, this is the stuff you're going to need. So I'm, I'm working with um, working with a couple of clients on these these little QR code campaigns, um, which I talked about on a podcast. Uh, can't remember. Can't actually remember when that was now. But what we want to do is send out these these little postcards with a QR code, which just says "Scan me." That's it. Um, and it arrives in the package. It should be the first thing the customer sees. And it will take them to a welcome page, which will have a, a video, ideally a video from the founder or from head of customer experience or something. Welcome to the brand. Um, talk a bit about the experience they've gone through. And then it will be, you know, depending on the product, it will be something like um, how to set this up and then how to maintain it. Or it could be, you know, if you've bought a, um, you know, you get lots of like skincare routine sort of um, yeah. like bundles, you know, like uh, the digital description of how you actually use that and the, and the routine that you, you you take there so you don't have to rely on the, the physical um, thing. But all those, that, that kind of following up on that post-purchase experience. And while this isn't related to delivery, it's still that post-purchase of, right, now you've got the product. We want to make sure you've got all the information you need to use it properly and to care for it and to whatever it might be going forwards. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when was it? Three years ago? Do you remember when Ikea did the, um, they included how to make their packaging into a kid's toy, for example, like stuff like this, actually, you then start to go into the sustainability space and you can use this experience in the comms to make sure your customer knows how to recycle their parcel or how they can reuse the packaging for a a kid's toy, for example. Um, Yeah, it's that functional information that's a little bit fun as well and gives you a brand identity without pushing your brand. Um, so it's quite a nice kind of different way that you can start to build that community with your customers and really keep them in that kind of circuit circle of your brand. Yeah, exactly. So I know we, we've obviously touched on this a bit, but, you know, so if companies want to f- want to look into that that post-purchase experience, where where do you begin? What are some of the, some of the key uh, pieces of information that you provide or key actions you need to take? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, come to the solution provider is what I will say. My sales team would um, shout at me if I didn't say that. But for me, you know, my biggest advice is start with the basics. So many companies really overcomplicate this space. And actually, as I said before, it all comes down to knowing what your customer wants. So, you know, audit, audit your customers, take a look at their personas and really start to figure out who who's buying from you, who are you selling to and what are you saying to them? And then from that, you can then start to look at the data and start to figure out what information they want. Um, And then once you've done that, you know, some businesses do try and build this solution in-house. Often, you know, they start to realize it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. And it's often much more, much more easier to come to solution providers like Parcel Lab. Um, So, yeah. It's the same. It's the same with a lot of tech. 
yeah. I've, I've been in I've I've been in startups, even actually even big established companies who, as a marketing team, would come to come up with a solution, and we've said, oh, like for example, a new referral platform or a new referral system, because the one we had at this particular company wasn't too great. I said, look, we've got this company, this company, this company. They all provide great solutions. Our product team immediately went, cool, well, we've already got something in place. So if you just put together your requirements, we'll just build what you need. Mm. It's like, well, yeah, you can. Or we can buy a product which is maintained and cheaper and it's yeah and it's, it's going to be have const, someone constantly and not just development maintenance on it it's going to have industry experts on it the entire time thinking how do we improve this product whereas you're not if you have it in-house yeah exactly and I think also when you do go to those external solution providers it's someone who's going to really push your business's boundaries there's you know we're, we're all guilty of it when you're all working within the same team that kind of pushing pushing and saying, what about this? What about this? Doesn't come as often as when you're working with someone externally and you know they've won your business. They're going to want to really prove to you that it's worthwhile. So they're going to work and work to make sure you get the results you wanted. Whereas often, yeah, as you say in-house, it just becomes, yeah, we've done it. And then it's kind of forgotten about and you don't have that team and resources there to keep it running, keep it improving and keeping it, you know, as agile and as relevant as possible something that was built two years ago it's not going to be the same as what your customers want now um so yeah so it's definitely you know it's the age-old argument as we say um but i will always be on the solution side <laughs> but it's it's even th- i mean with, with you guys it's it's obviously things like integrations as well so if if a company wants to build their own post-purchase um, pages for, for shipping updates and things, they've got to go and integrate with Hermes and DPD and Royal Mail and everyone else. And, you know, your choices are do as many as you can straight away or pick the one that you want to work with, but know that if you do change or if you add another one, you've, you've then got to spend that time building that integration as well. And I, I think I've heard that Royal Mail in particular is a bit a little bit of a difficult one. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well. As you say, it's the relationships are already there with the solution provider, and you know it's hard to get it's hard to get data. And yeah, you can't just ring up the carrier and say we've done this. We need your data, but they're not going to give you it, um, and they're not going to give you it in the right format that actually makes it work for you. And suddenly you become drowning in this data, and it's probably going to be quite manual if you haven't got the tech there to make it. You know, an API or or an automatic transfer, it can become, yeah, a really manual task that then makes it just not worth it in the end. So, yeah, definitely. Have you got any examples of companies who are doing this well? Um, so, I mean, we all know that Amazon do it very well. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, you know, they have their flaws and they have their benefits. Um, but from a wider retail space, um, H&M, um, I think, do this really well. And they have a really great um solution across the whole journey so they do post purchase but then they also bring that into returns so they have their returns platform um which means that the whole time it's all branded it's in your customer account it's really easy to get to um and then yeah outside of fashion as well um bows as well do it really nicely and there's actually i ordered from them the other day and they have really like emotive images that come with it so it's kind of like a father and um, his daughter waiting at a window 
when it says your pass is on its way. And it's those little things that I was just like, like that's stuck in my memory of seeing that. And actually it, it elicits an emotion. This is the most emotional engaging part of the whole customer journey is waiting for that parcel. Cause you know, they've got your money. Something could go wrong. I just want it to arrive. And actually, you know, playing into that emotion and acknowledging that emotion is a really nice way to do that messaging. Well, it's that post-purchase anxiety as, as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, have I made the right decision? Is this a trustworthy company? Uh, you know, obviously the bigger companies maybe don't have to worry about that so much, but for smaller companies, definitely. Like, you know, if, if you can show immediately that you're taking those next steps proactively to say, not only is here's your tracking information uh, and here's updates on your parcel, but, uh, you know, like I said before, here's here's some tips to get you started or here's something you can do before your product arrives to to get prepared for it or something. Yeah. Um, so many opportunities there. And and it and another one is that is that returns piece actually, um, which I want to touch on a bit. I've I've been doing some research with a client and so much feedback came back around around returns, but not free returns. People were specifying that they want hassle free and easy returns. You no, know, I think a few there were a few comments saying they want you know free returns is good, but actually so many more people wanted easy returns. They want to know that if for some reason they need to send the product back because it's because it's broken or, or, or whatever, um, or it just or it's just not right for them. They want to know that they can really easily just send it back, and it's not going to be hassle. And, and a lot of companies don't state that too much. Yeah. They they focus on the free. They say free returns. Don't worry about it. But um, like you said, you know, you, it's, it's when you place that order or when you when you start that returns process so many companies as soon as you initiate it so as soon as you've completed the purchase or as soon as you've uh put that the, the return in the mail you don't hear anything and you're wondering right is it is it has it got lost in the mail like what's going on and then you know maybe a week later you suddenly get a refund and that's it and it just it's those sort of things that make you think i know you did it you did what you were set going you said you were going to do you gave me that refund and it's not cost me anything, whatever. But I was anxious about it for that entire week, wondering, is it, has this got back to you? I actually had, again, related to my move, I had such a nightmare with my solicitors. And I think most people do, to be fair, from what I hear. <laughs> but um, at, at the end of the day, they got the job done. And I, I completed I completed in time for the stamp duty holiday. But it was such a nightmare working with them that I would never go back to them. I'd never recommend anyone go to them just because they they made the process such a nightmare for me. And I think a lot of brands don't think about that. They don't think we just have to make sure nothing goes wrong. Hang on, did I get that right? They, yeah, they think yeah. we need to make sure nothing <laughs> goes wrong. They don't think, but we need to make sure the customer is aware that we're doing everything right. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, returns is an absolute nightmare. And when you have a bad returns experience, yeah, you're probably not going to, you're not going to do it. It's the same as experience in anything. One bad experience can ruin a whole loyalty that you've had for years with a brand or a business or anything. One bad experience has ruined that. And, you know, it becomes even more of a nightmare with Brexit to not want to say the word, but yeah, suddenly... So yeah, retailers that once had returns that would go back to the EU where it was super easy, now suddenly you need three different invoices, I think it is, to stick to the parcel I had the other day. 
And I took it to DHL, the drop-off. It's like, yep, cool. You've got everything. I've stuck it to the parcel. It's definitely there. Next day, I then get the parcel delivered back to me from DHL because they've lost the invoices. So then I've got to go through the whole process of bringing customer service and saying, this has happened. Can you send me a new one? They're then like, yeah, yeah, it'll be three days. I'm like, I just want to return my parcel. Like, how hard can this be? And yeah, they were on the phone. Oh, well, actually, when we speak to people, we tell them to put it in an envelope. I'm like, why didn't you email someone? Why didn't you email saying that and saying top tips to make sure your return goes well? These little things that just would make it so much easier. And yeah, when it comes to like returns options as well, it comes back to thinking about your customers. Post office might be really easy for me because I live opposite post office. But Hermes might be a drop off might be really easy for you because you live near the Hermes drop off. So actually, when these companies offer like one solution, it's actually a bit of a nightmare for half their customers who might live five miles from a post office. You know, I think it's very focused on city living a lot of the time. And actually, the majority of your customers don't live in cities and don't have the drop offs within a 10 minute walk. I think it tends to be again. It comes down to that that being company centric and not customer centric. They they pick the solution that works for them and that they're happy to use, and don't really think does this apply to all customers. And I was actually looking into this because um, because my client again, and uh, yeah, their, their returns page is is a, is a wall of text basically, and there is a button in there which says download your returns, uh, which I think takes you to Royal Mail. So yeah. It all, it all works. It's all fine. But again, it's, it's like I said earlier, they, they, they don't make it easy. There's nothing there to really reassure the customer. Whereas if you go to ASOS, the ASOS returns page is pretty good because it lists about 10 different options for how you can make your return. And it just has, it basically has just the bullet points of, you know, firstly, you can take it back to any, uh, I think Asda is an option actually, like any yeah. Asda store. And, and drop it off there and this is how you do it and then it's like three bullet points and then you can click a button to kind of start that process and they do that for about 10 different options so no matter who you are you should be able to find an option there to say all right cool I, I don't have a post office near me but I know that I've got a Tesco near me so I can go drop it there or there's this other store that I'm allowed to go drop it at um so yeah, it's it's just, it's just really important to give these options and and uh, and make sure people are aware of it as well. And give you know, and and like you said, give, almost give them instructions on what to do. And that instruction doesn't isn't just download the uh, download the return form uh, or return label, um, stick it to your package and put it in the mail. It's this is how you need to package it up. This is how it could even be. This is how you need to put the product back in the box to make sure that we'll accept it as a return uh, or to make sure, or actually rather it's probably a better way of putting it is uh, to make sure it doesn't get damaged in the return. Yeah. Um, and all that helpful information that would make a customer go, okay, cool. I've followed your instructions. Therefore I should be fine. Yeah, exactly. And you know, as we said, it's, it's the most anxious part of the journey because you've said you still have my money. It's probably been two weeks and now I just want my money back because the product's not right. So yeah, this is the time that can really make or break that loyalty for your customer. And yeah, we just need to make it as easy as possible for them. Um, and yeah, we all experience it. This is this is the fascinating thing I find about this space is that every person you speak to is also a consumer. So they get it. Like everyone gets it and everyone gets the frustration. So it's it's often, okay, 
you need to make the change then within your business because you understand that frustration. And when you tell people about the topic and you start talking to people about it, everyone's got a story and everyone's got something that's gone wrong. So yeah, imagine if we can kind of stop that happening in many ways. There's a lot of these that are such simple things to fix as well. I think this is what I find quite fascinating about this space. That, uh, yeah, when you take a step back, you're like, well, of course you do that. Like, why have we not done this for years? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know we've, we've touched on quite a few, but are there any big or just common mistakes you see? See brands making that post-purchase? I know we've got the whole place an order and then just don't really follow up or do anything, but are there any kind of maybe less obvious mistakes? Um, I don't think there's any kind of outside of what we've spoken about. I think it all, it all, all of this comes back to the mistake of kind of not thinking about customer centricity and the fact that you're actually, you know, you're selling to human beings. We're all human. And often we talk about, you know, B2C marketing, B2B marketing, when all of this is just business to human marketing. And it's all about, the person you're selling to and it's one human selling to another and wanting to return you know it's all of us going through the same thing and I think a lot of businesses are guilty of forgetting that and as you said before putting their brand first wanting to give the information they want to give rather than thinking what their customer actually wants when you know giving them a returns page that has paragraphs of text for them to try and work out how to return an item no, who has the time? Just give give me a bullet point. Give me the link. I want to return my item. I'm, you know, I'm a bit done with it by this point. Or, you know, yeah, it's all about taking that step back and asking ourselves, why are we saying this? Why is it helpful to the customer? If it's not, we need to change it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you do get brands who try to be, again, it's that, it's that trying to be on brand and stuff trying to get brand in there too much when the customer doesn't care. Like, you know, they don't care how passionately devoted you are to ensuring all returns are dealt with quickly and efficiently. They just want to know uh, hassle-free returns within 30 days of purchase. Here's how you do it. That's exactly. it. Just, it's, it's one of those areas of the website which just needs to be functional. Um, actually, that reminds me of your, the, yeah, your comment about SMS as well, how SMS is really functional now. Um, yeah, I was thinking my, uh, almost all the SMS messages that I've received in the last few months have been uh, delivery updates or um, kind, of, kind of confirmation of uh, uh, that I've filled in a lead form, um, you know, confirmation that they've, they've received my my query, inquiry and stuff. Um, because I, well, I use WhatsApp. Yeah. WhatsApp for pretty much all messaging with with friends, so the the SMS has become that that transactional space for me. And if my if I if my phone buzzes, which it pretty much only does for an SMS message now, it gets picked up and checked. Um, yeah, exactly. I think it's a really it's a really valuable tool that we need to be really careful not to be making it a marketing channel. You know, I hate when I receive marketing texts. It feels really intrusive to me. It's kind of like, this isn't where I should be receiving this. Why haven't you emailed me? Why have you, you know, messaged me with 30% off or something? I'm like, nope, wrong space for me anyway. Whereas, yeah, it's very functional for me. It's tell me what's happening, tell me what's happening when, confirmations. Yeah. I I don't mind it occasionally if it it fits. And 
while I never, almost never order, the, the ones that come to mind are things like Domino's Pizza Hut when there's football on. Yeah. And they, they time it right so that you might actually be thinking, well, beer and pizza with the football, that'd be good. Yeah. So that, that works. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been absolutely bombarded with uh, Uber Eats, Uber, and not so much delivery actually uh, uh, recently, I don't think, but Uber Eats and Uber in particular just just constantly bombarding me with you know 10% off your next 10 journeys and stuff like that or, or 10% off your next 10 orders but there's no like context to it there's no yeah. like you know why should I be taking that journey or for what reason am I ordering you know and a lot of these pushes come randomly through the day as well so it's not even coming up to dinner time or something that they'll push and say oh, you can have a discount off your next meal it'll come at 11 o'clock in the morning or something yeah and I think this comes down to these businesses not using their data and using how they can put yeah as you say I love to receive dominoes on them you know it's a Sunday night I'm a little bit hungover suddenly they know they know it every time and I'm like yeah you've got me fine okay this was good <laughs> but yeah then when I get like an 11 a.m 30 percent off dresses from x retailer I'm like no I'm at work this isn't the time. Like I'm not going to be browsing yeah. right now. Like you haven't thought about when I want it and when yeah, you've just yeah. said, this is the time that works for us. We're going to send it out. Well, this, this is the time that we've seen best results. Exactly. Be, uh, but on the basis that they're sending them out to everyone at the same time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you see any big trends coming up in the post-purchase space? Yeah, I think um, what we've seen, you know, we've been in the UK market for coming up to three years, um, kind of properly for two and a half years. And what was once an educational piece for post-purchase, it's now becoming a requirement in, in a way. And I think customers are expecting more and more. The pandemic has pushed us forward even more. We're all, more people than ever are shopping online and they're not taking the bog standard experiences anymore they you know they they know the amazon experience and they want that from every retailer and they remember that from retailers so i think what we're going to see is actually customers really standing up to retailers a little bit and if they do have a bad experience they're probably going to shop elsewhere and i think that customer expectation and yeah it kind of comes back to experience loyalty again that's going to become more and more important to brands and, you know, we've seen people not adapt. We've seen brands disappear from the high street as a result of not being where their customers are and adapting to what they expect. And I think unless, you know, these traditional retailers really invest in their digital and really invest in that omni-channel approach, we're going to see more kind of not, not survive on the high street and go more online and be bought by these massive businesses who suddenly just make them. So yeah, we're seeing them, you know, they lose their brand identity and they've just become an entity of these big retailers. Um, and I think this is my one, my one piece of advice to these traditional retailers is to adapt quickly and recognize um, the potential as well that post-purchase has. You know, it's a huge potential and it's a really exciting channel to engage in and work on and the possibilities of what you can do with it really are endless and you can start to have a bit of fun with it and really make your brand message and play with your brand a bit more while also being really functional. Yeah. 
it's, it's something which, you know, it might sound like a massive project or whatever, but once you've got it set up, you you know, you, you come back to it every now and again and tweak it and try and optimize it and stuff, but but it's done. It's not, it's not you're not sending out anything manually um, and you're just giving people a better experience. And I've got the stats that, uh, from which report was it? Uh, the Future of Customer Experience by PwC. Uh, so one in three customers will abandon a brand that they're loyal to, loyal to after one bad experience, and ninety-two percent will abandon after two or three. So that's, and that's not. I mean, I, I don't know what the context was for that report, but in my opinion, that's not a bad experience. As in, a something went really wrong. It could still include they just didn't know what was going on. The customer got frustrated because no one communicated to them. That's the bad experience that makes people go, ah, that, that was just too much hassle. I'll try somewhere else next time. So if yeah. you can keep people updated, that, that's, a, that's a decent step. And then if, if you're the ones doing it and those bigger brands aren't, then those customers are going to get fed up with the bigger brands and then move away. And I think we are seeing more and more of that. You know, People want to... People want to work with independent, well, sorry, not work with, <laughs> buy from independent brands a bit more um, and, and smaller brands and and brands who do have a, like a proper brand identity and brand values. Um, so if, if the if the big brands don't give them that experience, it's, it's very easy now to just move off to someone else and get it there. Definitely. You know, we're seeing the rise of D2C, um, direct to consumer. We're seeing that. We're seeing people also becoming more sustainable so they're starting to think about their footprint and actually these smaller brands probably have a smaller footprint because they're not mass producing and I think this whole space is fascinating we've seen businesses start doing pre-order where you actually they only make what's purchased and I think that's an amazing way you know you've got to wait for it a bit longer but actually you know that that item was made for you and it's quite a nice message if you package it up in the right way um yeah I think retail is going to change so much in the next two years and I kind of can't wait to see it happen and how we adapt and change um and I do think these small businesses who are really digitally native are the ones that are going to thrive yeah yeah I think um I do like the idea of stuff being bespoke built basically or or built to order um it does have to make sense you know you wouldn't a lot of fashion brands wouldn't be able to do it um unless you were more you know premium kind of premium in the at the market um but also in those sort of situations brands shouldn't be afraid to actually explain that as well and say this is going to take longer because we we make it by hand or it goes through a rigorous testing process or you know whatever like make the point that the reason it's going to take two weeks to ship is because they want to make sure it's it's a great product for them yeah, exactly. And I also think that's where, you know, um, operations experience management comes into this. And this is a really nice, the nice part of it is actually say that you are a furniture company where it is going to take eight weeks for your sofa to arrive because they've got to build it. And you can actually then start having fun with that journey with your customer. And, you know, it's not going to be an actual picture of their sofa, but you can start sending them things to keep that excitement alive. And it all comes down as well with these things to customer expectations. As long as up front they know it's going to take eight weeks, that frustration is not going to happen in the same way as you tell me it's going to be three days and then it's three weeks. And I'm going to be really annoyed because yeah. why didn't you tell me that. Well, I, I know someone who actually, I think he did buy a sofa 
And yeah, his complaint was pretty much that they said it was going to be, I think, nine to 12 weeks. And when he ordered it, fine. Nine to 12 weeks. I know how long it's going to take. Cool. Um, Place the order. Didn't hear anything for about eight weeks and then got an email saying your sofa is going to be delivered soon. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, that's, that's early. Mm. I need, to, need to make sure I'm ready, whatever. Um, but also, cool, it's it's arriving. Um, click through this email to see the expected delivery date, and it was still three weeks away. <laughs> so even that was like, you've you've just got this all wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like a false hope, isn't it? It's... Yeah, it's like you, you made an effort and, and you, you just got that. <laughs> decided you needed to update, but couldn't do it in a creative way like throughout mm. the process was it was just a right we should email everyone after six weeks to say yeah it must be quite soon it's yeah be roughly three weeks away it just doesn't that's the thing and that often with these like made to order items like it's a lot of money and suddenly you're just there's nothing as you say eight weeks is a long time to just hear nothing you're like is it being built is it being because sh- the shipping is also what takes you know a week or so there's these little things that actually if you had let's say an order status page that you just had like an automatic thing it doesn't even have to be fully true like that's saying you know we're currently making the legs of your sofa just have these little things that are seeded in and actually then the customer can go on and check and know what's happening it can be automatic they don't actually have to know if it's true or not but yeah you can kind of keep them engaged and they know what's going on and they're not just eight weeks silence like that's a long time it's like the um the domino's pizza tracker yeah right that you know, it's it just automatically goes through these stages. I, I guess un, until the point that actually a delivery driver does pick it up, and then it and then they manually switch it to it's with your delivery driver. But until mm-hmm. then, it's probably just a time system which will just we know how long each segment should take, so we'll just put it through that, and then it will just sit in the last one until yeah until it does actually get picked up. Um, you don't need to know it's true. You just have to have an idea of where it is and and, and what's going on. Definitely. Um, but also with a lot of handmade, well, not maybe not handmade, but bespoke products that are, are built to order, it shouldn't be too difficult to manually do it because literally someone's just got to log into the system and and hit next on yeah. the uh, on the status, um, and then that just pings an email over and says, exactly. "We've we've built it. We're now just checking it over." Yeah, 100%. Cool. Um, so just before we finish then, do you, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Um, I have a real pet peeve about poor website experience. Um, I can't stand when you go on a website and there's like a million pop-ups and things just like flying across the screen and you can't just get... It comes down to they haven't thought about me as the customer. They've just been like, we, we want to give you all this information all at once and then hopefully <laughs> something will land and often the pop-up's not even relevant it's it's one of those as well you know when it's like sorry you're leaving and I'm like I haven't even left the website yet like yeah. why are you sending me this so yeah that's my um biggest pet peeve over complicating sites it's it's probably just different teams that are in charge of different pop-ups and none of them have spoken to each other they all want it to pop up at the earliest possible opportunity so you get 10 different pop-ups yeah <laughs> crashes my laptop it's a nightmare <laughs> Cool. Um, so just finally then, what what else are you curious about at the moment? Um, so yeah, sustainability is a, a really passionate topic for me. Um, 
in work and outside of work. Um, and I actually, I read a Guardian article today um, that renting clothes has actually got a higher carbon footprint than um, just normal normal shopping or just throwing it in landfill, which really shocked me because, you know, the renting space has been, as long as we remember, pitched as this sustainable way to shop. You're not buying it, you know, you're only borrowing it. But actually because of the packaging and delivery, they've now found that it has a bigger carbon footprint. <laughs> I just kind of sat back today was like, how do we win in this? What do we what do we do? So yeah. Yeah, well I suppose uh, I don't know exactly how it works, but if if a product goes back and forth between the business and five different customers, that's yeah, it's because they've all taken that opportunity to use it, have that product cheap on the cheap because mm-hmm. they're renting it. Then yeah, that would you're not going to get those five people might not have bought that product. Yeah. And therefore it's taken three, four, maybe even five more double journeys than uh, than a normal product would. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It's um, fascinating. And actually, I was doing um, some research on like sustainability efforts that people are doing. And it, there's kind of the rise of reusable packaging, which I think is going to be really exciting, um, where you kind of, you ship in this, so there's one called Repack, which I think they're based out of Germany. Um, and they've, you know, the initial creation of the packaging has a higher carbon footprint than normal packaging. But by the time it's been reused and reused and reused, it then obviously reduces that. And I'm just like, actually, if a brand started using this, I would stand up and be like, oh, this is great. Because I think it folds down into the side of an envelope and you just mail it back to them. So there's still a, there's still a carbon footprint. But actually, how annoying is it when you get a massive box and you have to try and get rid of it? You know, I live in central London. I put my rubbish on the street. It's a bit of a nightmare for me to try and fit the cardboard in the bag. So yeah, yeah, if I could actually have these solutions where I'm not faced with this massive packaging issue all the time, I think, yeah, I saw it and just thought it was genius. Mm, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, well, this has been great stuff. Like, uh, yeah, I, I've been doing a lot of work in the post-purchase experience at the moment, actually. So, um, so this has been really relevant to me as well. Um, if anyone wants to find out more, what's what's the best way of getting in touch or, or finding out more? Yeah, so you can head to our website, which is parcelab.com. Um, we're also just launched our inaugural OX Theft. So this is going to be a five-day event, um, which will be based around different topics, including sustainability um, and how we can kind of challenge the con- conventional thinking of e-commerce. Um, and we've actually got a keynote speaker from NASA. So it should be pretty exciting. So yeah, if you want to register your interest, parcelab.com forward slash OXFest. And you can sign up. Awesome. Cool. I'll I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Catherine. Cheers. A really important piece of the post-purchase experience isn't just the delivery information, but it's asking yourself what extra value can we give the customer over the next few days? What information might they need? What actions or steps do they need to take before the product turns up? And also what's important for them to know in the long run? It's a great opportunity to remind them of your warranty or provide care and maintenance information. All of this tells the customer that you're there for them. You haven't forgotten them or discarded them now that they've handed over the money. Customers who feel cared for and who feel you're providing them all the information they need are happier customers and happier customers lead to repeat business reviews and referrals. If you have any questions for Catherine, you can contact her through LinkedIn or go to the Parcel Lab website. Please tweet any other questions about the podcast or feedback or guest requests to at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Shane Chayen with me, and we're going to be talking about digital influence and how you can tell your story better and stand out among the rest. But until then, keep those customers clicking.